Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each man too I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. 
and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. And then he died. Have you noticed that it seems that headlines are becoming more and more inflammatory? Exaggerations, distortion of facts just to get you to read what the article is? Have you ever forwarded something because of the headline, not realizing it didn't really say that? Have you ever fact-checked headlines, titles? Have you ever opened a file you wished you hadn't or clicked on something that was uh, propaganda-ish because of the title? If we were to do that with our text today, Genesis chapter 9, what clickbait title could we give it just to get us to read it? Perhaps it would be, Vegans Beware, The Lord Affirms the Carnivorous. All right, do I do this one? Before the rainbow was gay, what did God say? I got some help with this one. Former zookeeper goes farming. Shipbuilding turns into winemaking. Scratch that one, okay. I got some help with this one. Flood survivors go off the deep end. How about this one? World's oldest man becomes alcoholic. Ham takes his hamming way too far. Drunken patriarch embarrasses family. Hungover grandfather curses grandchild. Or naked dad wakes, wakes up mad. Are you ready to read it? See what it says? Let's do it. I often have thought the last three verses of chapter 8 should be included with chapter 9 because when God began speaking, this is what happened. Noah had offered up a sacrifice, the sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, and the Lord says in his heart, in verse 21 of Genesis 8, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So God is creator, rightfully so, brought destruction to his creation because it had turned bad. It had turned bad sour. It had turned wicked, to say the least. He goes on to say, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So he's promising continuity here in this visitation that Noah and his family had with him. And he goes on in chapter 9, verse 1, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember that from Genesis 1? This is kind of a recreation of the earth. Noah's kind of a, a new Adam, a second Adam, not the last one. Jesus is that. They're told to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We're going to see next chapter, people are going to be rebelling against that. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. 
They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. And you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Here's capital punishment being implemented. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. So God in his mercy, when we say mercy, implements capital punishment. Why? I think The previous world was so wicked because people were living so long and because the experience of Cain and the words of his grandson Lamech, capital punishment was not being practiced. I'm sure there were vigilantes and wickedness was just going on and on and on. Imagine El Chapo living for 700 years. How wicked could he be? How bad could a cartel become after several centuries of operation? So at some point, you've got to cut the badness out. You gotta, there's got to be an end to it. Eternal life comes through redemption of the, of the children of God who have put their faith in him and humbled themselves to begin to live a life of repentance, turning from wickedness rather than celebrating it, embracing it, and spreading it. They're told to be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and to multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, this is a promise made to himself to them, as for me, behold, I establish my covenant, my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. And here it is. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So here's the promise. In the form of a covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is the word uh, berit, which means to cut or a cutting. When you make a covenant with someone, you cut a covenant. It's a cutting. Uh, in our terminology, we talk about cut a new contract or cut a deal or cut a lease. It's a word that points to sacrifice. It's a word that I think points to the cross where the Son of God was cut for us, not just for our sins, but for the covenant that God made with us. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud. Calls it his. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The great flood brought an atmospheric change to the earth 
The water canopy that fell down had, had shielded the earth so much so that perhaps there wasn't even rainbow seen until afterwards. And God calls the rainbow his rainbow. I set my rainbow on the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So in the surface of the sky, we see rainbows to remind us that God has promised to keep covenant to never destroy the entire earth with flood again. Verse 18, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Genesis chapter 9. Are there parallels between Noah and Adam? There is. Adam was in a garden. Noah made a garden. God made a garden for Adam, and Noah made a garden for himself and his family. Uh, Eve, Adam's wife, took of the tree and ate, and he ate the forbidden fruit with her. And that was a sin, and Noah drank the wine to the point that it became drunk. And as I understand the scriptures, wine is not a sin, but drunkenness is. So we must be responsible, right? Guns don't kill, but people do. So we must be responsible if you have one. Cars don't kill, but people drive crazy. So we must be responsible. So Noah, in irresponsibility, became drunk, and something happened. What happened? We don't know. It was enough to put a curse on his grandson. There's all kinds of crazy theories out there that may or may not be true. But the bottom line is I believe God in the Bible wants us to know that Ham disrespected his father. 
One of the theories out there is based on Leviticus 18.8 that says to uncover your father's wife's nakedness is to uncover your father's nakedness. So maybe his wife wasn't Ham's mother. You know, they lived a long time, so maybe this was a new wife. Maybe she was the same age as Ham. I don't know. But uh, it was great disrespect, whatever he did, if nothing else but mocking. You know, their dad was an awesome man, right? Built, save the human race, save, you know, save the animal species, built a huge ship. What a conquering dude. And then messed up. You know, oftentimes we slip up or make mistakes after a great victory. Sometimes it's not just when you're down on the dumps and you're defeated. Sometimes when you've got to be on guard the most is when you've had a great victory. You've got to be on guard all the time. When you're hurt, when you're sad, when you're up and when you're glad. Back to our parallel. Uh, they knew they were naked after they sinned. Noah, after he sinned, became naked in his tent. Uh, they made clothing for themselves, and then God comes along and covers them with animal skins. Noah's sons, Shem and Japheth, covered him without looking on their father's nakedness. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked when they sinned. When Noah awoke, his eyes opened. He knew what his younger son had done to him. Uh, after their sin, Adam and his wife were cursed. After he awoke, Noah cursed one of his grandkids. Now, this story has been abused for centuries, used as a reason to impose slavery on people with dark skin. Ham was cursed, and so we have the right. This is what, was, this is what the, the KKK and the Aryans preach. Ham sinned. There was a curse given. We don't know that Noah was even inspired by God, but they don't know their Bible. Ham sinned, yes, but Canaan was cursed. Noah had three other sons, Cush, Foot, Phizraim, and Canaan. Canaan was cursed. Cush, Foot, and Phizraim were, were left out of it. Well, I think they, should, they were all included. Canaan was just an example. Oh, really? Well, then explain to me how Nimrod, a descendant of Cush, developed Babel, which eventually became Babylon, which was the Cushites. How did they rule over the world and dominate the descendants of Sham? That's a reverse of that curse. People just don't think. Prejudice makes you blind. And when it's self-serving, you don't want to see. So another parallel with these things, back to Noah and Adam, is Jesus. He laid it all down in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, among olive trees, laid his life down for us. Whereas they sinned among trees and fruit and gardens, flowers. Adam and his wife ate of the tree. Noah drank of the wine. Jesus drank of the bitter cup. He took our sins upon himself without sinning. Uh, Adam and his wife knew they were naked. Noah became naked. Jesus was made naked by those that were trying to kill him. You see the parallel? Adam and his wife tried to clothe themselves, but God took an animal's life to cover their nakedness. Uh, Noah was covered by his sons. Jesus 
through his nakedness, made a way for us to be clothed. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He came down for us so that we could come up for him. Their eyes were open. They knew they were wrong. They knew they were naked. When Noah awoke, he knew he had been sinned against, and of course he knew he had sinned. When Jesus arose from the dead, he brought peace to whoever would believe in him. After the fall, Adam and his wife received a curse. As Jesus was being slaughtered, tortured, he's praying blessing on those that are abusing him. Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So you see the parallel? Mirrors, types, shadows, anti-types, beautiful thing. We're on a verse-by-verse journey through the book of Genesis, and today we're looking at Genesis chapter 9. I'd like to talk to you for the next few minutes on the rainbow covenant. I love rainbows. In fact, I married the girl at the end of a rainbow. In 2018, we were blessed to be able to go back to the land of Yvette's youth. Zimbabwe visited Victoria Falls. When you visit there, there's always spray in the air, and if it's a sunny day, there's rainbows everywhere. A couple weeks ago, I was honored uh, to participate in a wedding for Keegan and Haley. And uh, it was a rainy day, kind of a downer to have rain on your wedding, right? I say it's a sign of blessing. There was a rainbow, and I sent it to Haley, and I know it, it blessed her. Look at this verse, verse 13. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Notice the word rain. I put in italics because literally God says I put my bow in the cloud. Well, it's bow-shaped, and, you know, get a life faster, Alan. Come on, it's a rainbow. Well, look at the word for bow. It's a word kasheth or kashit. It means a bending or a bow for shooting. It could be a a metaphor for strength, uh, a metaphor for the iris. Uh, In fact, the Greek word for rainbow is the word iris. Uh, It can imply an arch or an archer or an arrow or a, a bow. The vast majority of modern translations translate this word as bow. The American Standard Version, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. The basic Bible in English says, I will put my bow in the cloud, and it will be for a sign of the agreement between me and the earth. The contemporary English Bible says, I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. The Christian Standard Bible says, I have placed my bow in the clouds. The English Standard Version, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The Good News Translation, I'm putting my bow in the clouds. It will be the sign of my covenant with the world. The King James Version, I do set my bow in the cloud. It will be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. The New American Standard, I set my bow in the cloud. The Dewey Rhymes, I will set my bow in the clouds. The Revised Standard Version, I set my bow in the cloud. 
the Webster Bible translation. I do set my bow in the cloud. And Young's literal translation, my bow I have given in the cloud, and it has been for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So it means a bow. There's something significant there. And as I looked at it, I did some more digging and, and saw what the rabbis have to say about this Hebrew word. Watch this. The Hebrew word for rainbow is keshet. Interestingly enough, keshet, other than rainbow, also means a war bow. We can easily see the connection between rainbow and a bow in English, but since it is one and the same word in Hebrew, the connection there cannot be clearer. Why would ancient Hebrews, Moses in particular, refer to a rainbow as a bow? That connection has to do with the story of Noah's flood. When God judged the fallen humanity by sending his catastrophic flood, he made Noah a very important promise, never to judge the world so harshly again. Later in the Bible we find out why, but here suffice to say that a rainbow became an eternal sign of God's forgiveness and his covenantal mercy. After all, it was God's bow of war that was now on a permanent display in the museum of the sky. This time God's bow was not pointing in our earthly direction, but in the direction of God's heavenly residence. Wow. The rainbow covenant could be called the bow covenant. Who likes rainbow? It's a metaphor for God's judgment. That he aimed the bow of his judgment and released the great flood that covered the earth with his arrows of judgment from the sky and from the earth itself. Water came and brought judgment. And now... His bow points at himself, reminding him of that day and that he's never going to do that again. But also, I believe, as a New Covenant believer, I will go on from what the rabbi said, that the next day of judgment came upon God himself on the cross, the judgment of God as our substitutionary, atoning, redeeming sacrifice. God's wrath was allowed to be aimed towards his son by allowing the wickedness of man to commit the most heinous act, the worst sin could be. You know, slap me around, but slap my child around, that's another whole other level of wickedness, right? On the cross. So that we could be free. In Noah's day, you were freed from God's judgment if you were on that ark. That ark was covered inside and out with pitch. That word for pitch is the Hebrew word for atonement. It's in the Torah, I think, 70 sometimes. The majority of times it's pointing to the covering of the blood to atone for our sins. So in Noah's day, Freedom from God's judgment came 
through the ark. First um, Peter 3 talks about the antitype of the flood, that, that they were saved by the waters, just as water baptism saves us. We often don't think of the water saving them, but the water did separate them from the wickedness, but they needed the ark, right? In our life, we need Jesus because he received my judgment for me. He paid my fine for me. He died for me. Who would agree the world is wicked, right? So one day, a day of fire is coming. where All the elements, the Bible says, are going to melt with a fervent heat. But between now and then, we have the day of salvation, the season of redemption for those who will come into relationship and call upon the name of the Lord who received judgment day in himself for them to be freed from the judgment that is to come. Where do you stand today? Have you received the full benefits of Christ's offering for you? It's a cheap parallel, but I think it holds some weight. Let's say you were in trouble with the law big time, and they were going to fine you, you know, 10 years wages. And a wealthy person stepped up and paid that fine. Would you not be in gratitude to that person? That's what God has done for us. In his sense of justice, his superior knowledge, all wrongs must be righted, and he has done it in himself through the gift of his son. So the bow that points to the sky one day pointed to his son and allowed him to be tortured, robbed, stripped, shamed, abandoned, betrayed, and killed. So like the ark that saves the second Adam and his family from judgment, so Christ saves whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here that you would put in their heart a fresh appreciation for what you did for us through your finished work on the cross. And Lord, I pray if anyone here does not know you, I pray, Lord, you'd put a hunger in their heart to explore your claims, to search out your wisdom, and to listen to those who have found saving faith in you so that they too can come to a day of salvation. I pray, Lord, if that day is here for some, I pray, Lord, they would call on your name. Let's call on his name right now. Lord Jesus, I call on your name, and I ask you to save me. I believe you died for my sins and you've risen from the dead. I believe you received God's judgment for me. I believe you're the Son of God. Be my Lord and my Savior. It starts out like that. Just, just begin to pray along those lines and let the words come from your heart. Pour your heart out to God and ask Him to forgive you and cleanse your life. As we sing this song, I encourage you to draw near to the Lord through his finished works.
clickbait title for this sermon could be Judge Judges Innocent Man So Guilty Can Go Free. Are you glad about it? The Lord is taking your judgment upon himself. Amen. First is everyone that hangs on a tree, and he hung up on a tree for you and me. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord God Almighty, Yehovah himself, lift up his comments upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go get him, Jackers. If you need to receive prayer, ask someone to pray for you. Don't leave here without them. God bless you. Don't